This week, a ghost-filled episode just in time for Christmas, with my own Christmas visitation, It's a Ghost Bro, and why I think objects can't be inhabited. Uh, Recently, I was contacted by a paranormal show. Uh, This isn't the first time. I've actually talked a bit about this in the past. I think the last one was uh, Haunted Hospitals, which I I was very (laughs) open with the lady on the phone. I actually said I don't believe that it is um, a good idea to cover hospitals because of sensitivity issues, and they actually did a decent job. The show came out. And um, they didn't mention names, they didn't mention locations, they just told the story, which I think is uh, absolutely perfect. That's how you should handle that, in, in my opinion. So they agreed. Uh, so the next one that came to me is uh, they were asking about uh, if I had any experiences or any objects that were inhabited by spirits, a haunted by spirits and again I'm very honest with them I did not hold back and I I I went on this little bit of a speech that I don't believe that objects can be inhabited this is my own personal belief Uh, it's from my experience with dealing with these things in the past now they knew they knew about Lizzie Uh, if you don't know Lizzie the doll she is uh, our resident haunted doll at the Ghost Walks gift shop in Niagara, as far as I know, as more famous dolls go, haunted dolls go. I think she is the pinnacle for, for the Niagara region, at least. And they had heard about her, so they wanted to talk to me about Lizzie and say, oh, is she, is she possessed? Is she inhabited? And I, I, to- I immediately told them no. I, I sent an email back and I said, I don't think this is going to fit the subject matter of the show. Uh, and But she still wanted to talk to me. So I, I called her and we did a little bit of a mock interview. And that's when I went on my rant. So I, I talked for like five minutes or so. And I was saying, well, no, I, I don't think ghosts can inhabit inanimate objects. So the sole fact that you know, the, the, the living energy that exists, it, it's its own entity. I, I I don't see it like fully inhabiting. So here's where we need to kind of distinguish the difference. Um, a spirit inhabiting an object is to say that it's possessing something that's inanimate, that doesn't have the same type of living energy, it's not vibrating at the same frequency. I don't, that's the part that I I disbelieve that I push away what I do understand and you might be yelling at the at your uh, your device right now just saying okay well then explain antiques and explain explain why antiques have a certain energy about them so I do believe the idea that if somebody owns an object for many 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 years it goes over generations inside of a family I know there's objects um, from the Leith family who used to who built and owned the hermitage ruins uh, when it was a house and these things do have an energy about them I totally understand that and believe that to be true if somebody was proud of the object if they um, saw the object as a focus of their energy like say there was a writer in the family 
and it was a writing desk, well, then they would have a connection to that desk because just from the sheer amount of time that they spent sitting there uh, doing their writings. So then you would have a bit of an energy transfer uh, with that. Uh, so in that case, yes, I do think uh, antique objects do have a higher level of energy because of how long they've been around and because of the interaction that they had with with living um, beings, not just humans, but animals as well, that it can it can house this energy and that, you know, you look at an antique. I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but if I go to an antique market and I look at an antique that's much, much older than, say, one beside us, say, one's from the 1990s, and right near it there's a, a dresser from the 1800s, the one from the 1800s uh, resonates with me more. I can I can look at it and say, okay, this almost seems to have its own personality, and that's, I believe, from the energy. Um, now, the one inanimate object that kind of falls away from this is the doll and hence why you know this show comes to me they immediately want to talk about lizzie and they don't care about any other antique that i might have is because the doll has an interesting aspect to it they made dolls to be realistic so back in the day is the same today as well with newer dolls, although I don't know if the newer ones, the materials are as conducive with um, housing that living energy. But back in the day, you know, dolls, if you gave it to a child, the child would see the doll as a living being. So in the child's mind, this doll is actually a baby that they need to take care of. So that transfer of energy is much higher than even, say, the writer who is writing at his writing desk because the desk in the writer's mind is not the catalyst for their writing. At least I hope that's, that's the case. Uh, some writers are quite eccentric, I'm sure. But instead, it is a, just a tool to be used as where the doll is the catalyst for the energy. The child looks at the doll and interacts with the doll as if it's a real person. And this energy can make a transfer. So some might say, okay, well, Daniel, if that's the case, then isn't it possible that, you know, there was a lot of infant death back in the Victorian times. Uh, if a child passes away and that doll was kind of like their, their um, extension that they could have then transferred over into the doll that's, you know, I, I don't believe that personally. I don't have any major reason to not or to disprove that, to not believe it, but it just doesn't feel right to me that uh, that's what the child would want to do instead of, like, saying is being inside their family home. A good example of this is Bessie, uh, the young girl who haunts the Thompson Mansion at Ruthven, which is up in Cayuga, not far from from Hamilton, uh, you know, this, this kid only knew sickness. Uh, she died at a very young age, if I'm not mistaken, it was 11 years old, uh, something like that, and uh, died of a disease, and her whole world was that house. So even if she had a doll, which I'm sure she had many, 
it was a very well-off family, is that um, I don't think, I think she would be more connected to her family in the house than she would be connected to this inanimate object. I think it's very rare that the object would be so much of a connection to that child that they would choose that if they could choose, who even knows if they can choose, uh, to inhabit. But the dolls are definitely more energetic. And you can look at a doll and you see it has a face, it has eyes usually, um, and you can make that stronger connection, which I believe then is a heightened amount of living energy because the dolls are loved like they're real. Um, so ever the phenomenon is that can cause that increased energy, I think out of every inanimate object in the world, the doll would be the most energetic of all of them. But again, don't think they're inhabited. Don't think they're possessed. So... Um, I personally don't like the idea of the new show, but I'm never going to, you know, throw anybody back and say, don't do it. Uh, when it comes to telling ghost stories, the more the merrier. I, I really hope you guys find uh, some amazing stories to tell, even though I don't think Lizzie will be part of it, just because of my negative, air quote, negative views on it. Um, but I hope you find some wonderful stories and share it with the world. Uh, recently, I was contacted by, uh, I, 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 I consider him a friend. Uh, he's a very nice guy named Andrew. He works, or he, he goes to McMaster University. He uh, works at the Silhouette, which is the, uh, the news organization within the university. And I've talked to him uh, a few times in the past. He's done private tours in downtown Hamilton for uh, people in his staff. And um, we finally were able to figure something out to, uh, for me to be interviewed on the show because he, he listens to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. Uh, and he had me on the show. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's uh, on CFMU. It's the McMaster radio station. And he asked me beforehand. He got me, got me thinking. Uh, he wanted a real Christmas ghost story. And my first reaction to that was, uh, I, I don't have any. Because when you think, I mean, you, you can easily connect Christmas and ghost stories. Uh, there, there's a very strong connection there. Even before Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, people were still telling ghost stories, uh, you know, at that time of year, for whatever reason. It is probably, you know, if I were to guess, I would say it's because it's uh, so cold outside. You're confined to a house. You gotta, you know, you're in front of the fireplace. You know, what better thing at night being confined and, and held in than to tell ghost stories to, to freak each other out. So he asked me, he said, tell me a Christmas ghost story. And I was like, okay, I must have one. My, my focus is usually on Halloween because any major thing that has happened to me over the, um, over the years in the paranormal always seems to happen around Halloween time. If you've ever thought about that idea that the veil between the two worlds is at its thinnest around Halloween, that is 100% true. Uh, you know, it seems the most experience seemed to, I don't know if it's because people are looking for it or if it's the fact that it's the truth about Halloween time and people's connection with the dead during that time. So for me personally, because Christmas is the off season, I don't have as much opportunity to be in haunted locations at Christmas time. 
So for this, I had to go back to my time as an investigator. And I did realize that, yeah, when I was an investigator, there were a lot of things happening around winter. I don't know if it's because we had more free time then or whatever it was. So Christmas uh, was a time. So then I think, okay, there was one time. And I remember it because the Christmas tree factors into the story. So it was the night before we were going to do an investigation. The investigation was at a four-year-old townhouse in, in Brampton, which is just north of Toronto. Well, north of Mississauga, technically. And a four-year-old townhouse uh, telling us these most amazing stories that were happening in the place. And I was psyched. I mean, I, I, these people seemed very legit. They didn't seem crazy at all. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see what was going to happen. Now, the investigation, I'll talk about it for another show. But uh, for this, I'm going to focus on the night before. So it's around Christmas time. I believe it was mid-December. And we're, uh, it's nighttime. We're in our uh, condo, me and my wife at the time. And I'm sleeping. I'm in the bedroom. I'm sleeping. And she's in the living room uh, uh, watching TV. We had, these, we had two cats. And one of the cats, his name was Angel. Uh, he reacted to something in the dining room. And at the same time, um, my, my wife at the time, she heard a noise. So she uh, mutes the TV and she said there was this uh, slow uh, squeaking noise that was coming from the, from the dining room around where the Christmas tree was. And she didn't really know what it was. Uh, she just listened for a bit. She saw how Angel was reacting to it. And it went on for maybe a minute or so. And then Angel ran into the dining room stopped right in front of the tree and stared at it and then ran away. And as he ran away, the tree fell over and hit the window. So she goes over to look what happened and she looks underneath and that's where she realizes what the squeaking noise actually was. This was one of the uh, older type Christmas trees. Uh, it had uh, one of those uh, original bases on it, very heavy steel base, and it had the massive bolts that when you put the tree in, you would then screw the bolts in uh, into the bark or into the, the fake tree, whichever it might be, to hold it into place. So the squeaking noise as she screws it in and unscrews it is the sound of the bolts slowly unscrewing themselves, and that's what she heard. So once she realized what it is, she is understandably freaked out and she runs into the bedroom to uh, to tell me what had happened. So she wakes me up and tells me and uh, I come out, I look at it, we fix the tree. I mean, at that point, there's really not much more to do. We've had this experience in the past uh, before investigations with things reaching out. Uh, this is common and I can go into that in detail in a future episode as well. So she, uh, we, we fix the tree and we call it a night. I, I don't know how we're going to get to sleep, but needless to say, we had a couple lights on. <laughs> it's like a little freaked out. And um, we go to sleep. So I, I didn't go to sleep right away. I was kind of like, it took me a little while. My mind was kind of racing a bit. And I was looking at her. She was facing the, the window, the glass, and uh, facing away from me. And I'm, I'm halfway in between sleep and wakefulness, which seems to be an interesting time. Uh, and I, I see her move. 
Now she turns around. The interesting part of this, though, is the way she turned around, it was almost like she was like floating. I know it sounds crazy, but stay with me. Uh, almost like she was floating, but I, I couldn't feel the bed move. And she turned around and she was looking at me with a very open smile, like a huge smile on her face. And then she starts talking in a language I didn't understand. Uh, she's She uh, spoke Ukrainian. I, I knew that, but this wasn't Ukrainian. It wasn't English. I did not know what it was. And as I'm starting to freak out by what I'm seeing, it's like a snap and then she's facing the other way. So I thought, okay, uh, you know what? I'm tired. Uh, I don't know what just happened. Maybe I was half asleep, although I was completely awake at that point. <laughs> and I just, I tried to go back to sleep. And as I was kind of dozing off again, exact same thing. Slowly turns around, big smile, speaks a, a language I didn't understand. And then snap, she's facing the other way. Uh, so that at that point, I'm a little freaked out. I get out of uh, bed. I go get a glass of water. I um, stand in the kitchen for a little bit. And then I remember the Christmas tree falling over. I'm like, ah, you know, it is, there's really nowhere to go. Both sides of the apartment are covered at this point. So I was like, what choice do I have but to go to sleep? So I fell asleep. And I had a very vivid dream. And in the dream, uh, the interesting part was, um, so it was very quick. I was just walking into the bedroom. There's nobody in there. The lights are on. The curtains are open. And it's nighttime outside. So when you have that light inside, nighttime outside, it basically turns the windows, which they were large windows, into a mirror. So it reflects the room. That's not the weird part. But as I'm coming into the room, there's nobody in the actual bedroom. But in the reflection in the glass of the window, I can see someone. So there's this very tall man standing in the middle of the bed, uh, facing towards me in the reflection. Uh, he's wearing a long coat that goes down to his ankles. And uh, over his on his head, he had a wide brim hat that was pulled down so that the brim of the hat completely covered his face. I couldn't see who it was. And the minute I noticed him, I woke up. It's morning time. The day has begun. So we go through the entire day. I, I had told her about the dream, um, my wife at the time. And then uh, at the end of the day is when we were going like late afternoon, we were going to go meet the two psychics, Kate and Michelle. And then we were going to drive out together to, to Brantford to do the investigation. So when we uh, get together with Kate and Michelle, we got, we always have the conversation at the beginning. Did anything happen to you the night before? Cause as I mentioned, you know, things do tend to reach out if you're going into a truly haunted place. And I was so excited by what had happened and freaked out that I kind of cut in. I said, yeah, yeah, you know, this is what happened. We told him a Christmas tree. And I told him about what I saw with, uh, with my wife at the time, you know, turning around and speaking in tongues. And then I told him about the dream. And I could see them kind of like listening, going along. But when I mentioned the dream and I mentioned the fellow in it, the, you know, the coat and the wide brim hat, that's when they registered. And I think it was Kate. Yeah, I think it was Kate who uh, cut in and said, wait a minute, I saw the same guy. 
And it turns out that Kate and Michelle were talking about him right before we arrived. So they also had uh, visions or dreams the night before of the man in the long coat with the wide brim hat. Now, whether this factors into the haunting at that house or not, this is a completely different story. I don't know that for sure, but um, he was connected somehow. And again, I'll, I'll go into that investigation in a future episode if I haven't before, and uh, we can talk a little bit about that. But for now, they, that remains. It was around Christmas time. It had to do with the Christmas tree. So in my mind, that I believe, if I'm if I'm forgetting something, but I believe that is the only Christmas time ghost story uh, that I would have ever experienced. And I got a ghost story for you, bro. Yeah, why I'm saying that will come clear in a moment. But this is from the article. I read from it before. Um, It is called 12 Terrifying Ghost Stories You Shouldn't Read Alone. It's an older article on the uh, Huffington Post website. Definitely uh, worth a read if you don't want to just wait for me to read them all out over time. But the title of this story is called Ghost Bro. And I've been watching uh, the show Hawkeye recently, so I've been uh, been saying that a little bit too much. But uh, yeah, so I thought I'd read out this uh, story to you. And as I do with all of these is I will give my opinion on it, um, I guess, when I'm done the story. Why interrupt the story? Titled Ghost Bro. My house was built in 1904. It is a single-family home wood-frame setting on a concrete block foundation. I have been living here for about 12 years. Of all weird things that my siblings and me have seen or heard in the house, this one event is my favorite. This happened to my brother. About 10 years ago, my brother and his best friends had started a garage band playing mostly Spanish rock, alternative music, but in Spanish. His friends could only get together on Sunday afternoons. They would practice in the early evening, and they would usually call it quits by 8 p.m. This was the time I usually showed up and went to bed, because I worked the graveyard shift. This happened in late fall, so the days were getting shorter, and they had just finished a long session when the decision to head to someone else's house came about. My brother handed his car keys to his buddy, so they could load up the equipment. Everyone had filed out of the basement, but the tricky part was that they needed to walk all the way back of the basement, up the back stairs, through the kitchen doorway, down the hall into the living room, and out into the front porch. Everyone was outside sitting in my brother's truck waiting for him. My brother was walking up the back stairs when he remembered that he had left his pancakes in a to-go container sitting on a speaker in the basement. He made the decision to go back. Now, the basement was not clean. With full sight lines, there had been partitions made in the boiler and main heating unit are right smack in the middle. So after my brother walks back, he's about to retrieve his food container when out of the corner of his eye, he sees it. It is a shadowy figure right at his peripheral vision. This feeling of dread and uneasiness washed over my brother. We had been taught that if you are in the presence of a spirit or ghost and you feel a bad vibe, to say quick 
prayer or cuss at it. My brother chose the latter. He basically told it, Hey, F you. I don't have time for this SH. My brother started to walk up the back basement, uh, briskly up the stairs, closing doors and turning off lights as he walked out. The last light swish on the opposite side of the front door. Luckily, the door was open and the light from the street lamp was flooding into the living room with its amber light. My brother said he felt something at his back, but at no point did he turn around. As he flicked the last switch, the living room went dark, as did the rest of the house. He stepped out and pulled on the door, closing it behind him. Still holding his food container in one hand, he jogged down a few porch steps. He walked towards the front gate. Our house resides far from the main street, essentially having a large front yard but no rear garage. As he closed the gap between himself and his friend-laden truck, he kind of smiled and thought things over in his head, mad at himself for spooking out when there was no reason. He climbed into the driver's side of the truck, putting on his seatbelt and getting ready to pull out of the parking lot directly in front of the house, when in front of his friends asked him, Hey, wait, what about your brother? Isn't he coming with us? My brother answered, What do you mean? He went to work earlier tonight. He's already gone. Do you see his car anywhere? The next question they asked, So then, who was walking behind you when you were leaving the house? That is a really good ghost story. I'm impressed by this article. I'm going to tell you, uh, I read ghost stories all the time. And when I get this article where the stories, I mean, it's not the, the, the greatest written story in the world, but the aspects of it and how they played out, uh, how the story was told, you know, kind of setting things up and leading you along. And for most part, you don't know where it's going until it gets there. And then at the end of the story uh, is the best part where there's that little bit of a twist um, that, you know, it really keeps you entertained. And at the end, that little bit of a twist kind of surprises you. It's like, oh, so uh, he thought it wasn't true, but in the end it was. And his friends witnessed something to kind of validate what had happened to the brother. So I do believe that... Um, that's an occurrence I've heard many times from ghost stories over the year. But in a lot of cases, those stories, as they're told to me, don't have that same uh, flow to it and doesn't have the same way to draw you in. Some people make that mistake. I've been on many ghost tours in the past where they make that mistake of they just kind of throw facts at you. So basically, the script was written out probably as bullet points. And they're like, yeah, and so if, that, if, I, if you were to uh, poorly tell that story... It would have basically started with, uh, yeah, no, there's a shadow in the basement of the house, and uh, it's been experienced by many people. And the, you know, the there's a band that played down there, and one day the brother was by himself and he saw a shadow, and uh, he was like, oh, it's not real, until his friend said, hey, we saw the shadow behind you, and it is real, and that's the story. But in this one here, it just perfect because of the fact that it goes into detail about each thing and you introduce other aspects like you know the 
the truck waiting outside, the light from the street coming in to kind of illuminate things around him. Uh, him, they added the pancakes, which is just wonderful because I don't think any of us would ever leave pancakes behind if we we knew we could eat them and enjoy them later. We're going to go back. I don't care how haunted the place is. You're going to go back for your pancakes, especially if it's real maple syrup. But uh, yeah, so adding the extra aspects to this really makes it a great story. So then the question is, uh, is this real? Well, if I were to fathom a guess at this and look at different aspects of it to say if this is a real experience, I could play on my own experience in the past and say, yeah, I mean, I have seen shadow people. Uh, I have the experience at the Hermitage I've talked about before. And in most cases, when it's happening, um, you do get a feeling of like a strange energy that's around you. And as well, um, like this was different. This he kind of knew it was happening. He knew it was not right in the moment. But my experience, I just thought it was real because I had reason to believe it was real because there was other folks around. In this case, the brother had knew he was alone in the basement. So seeing a shadowy figure Maybe he could have initially thought it was like one of the buddies had come back or his brother. So maybe that was kind of left out. I don't know if that's because the first thing the mind usually does uh, tell you that um, it's a natural thing. But for this guy, he saw it, thought it was a ghost, walked away, and then questioned his experience, uh, which is something that is quite common. So that gives more validity to it as well. Um, I don't think it played out completely like this. I think a lot of this might have been changed for dramatic effect, especially that end is like, uh, hey, man, we saw somebody walking behind you. Who was that? Instead of saying, oh, are we waiting for your brother? You know, I mean, little things could have been changed to make it more dramatic. I can understand that. But all the other elements are here. Uh, Basement of a house, which is already creepy. Uh, house is over 100 years old, so it can have like ghostly energy. Um, the fact that uh, the musicians are artistic f- people, uh, they, you know, they're, they're, they're sharing their creativity with the world, uh, tells me that they have that ability. Uh, usually artistic people are more connected to their spirits. And uh, this is something that I know doing something that I love, which is creative, and that's telling history and ghost stories to people is that you are connected more to your spiritual side when you're doing it because you're doing a passion in life. So definitely folks who are doing a passion in life, such as singing in a rock band, uh, can have more ghostly experiences because of that connection. And skeptics will say it's because they're flaky. I would 100% disagree with that and just say it's because they're more connected to their spiritual side and not as closed-minded as... um, some skeptics are not all skeptics but some so i I mean uh, that's pretty much all i got to say about the story i'm just looking through it quickly to see if there's anything i missed Um, seeing the shadow figure in the peripheral vision so he didn't yeah you didn't actually see it straight on that's something else too you see movement from the corner of your eye i've heard that story many 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 times um, in haunted places and usually followed or with uh, some type of energetic feeling that goes along with it, whether it's dread, excitement, whatever it might be. So overall, uh, out of 10, if I were to give this a believability, out of 10, I would say believability is an 8. 
if I were to give this an out of 10 score for how great the story was told, that definitely a 9 or a 10 because it, it kept me interested and I hope it kept you interested. That's it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I don't think there'll be any bonus episodes this week unless I get bored and I want to do something. Uh, otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your support this year. And I wish you, your family, and your loved ones a very happy holidays.